Well, hello, welcome to Round the Table Live with Chris Concern. It's great to have you with us again. And today we are talking about the hot news from the Church of England this week that the bishops propose to have services to bless same-sex uh, relationships and, uh, or in other words, to bless, bless sexual immorality. Uh, what a, it's a big story this week, and I'm delighted to be welcome to be a welcome uh, Bernard Randall, Reverend Dr. Bernard Randall, who is a minister in the Church of England, with a, with a story um, which we can come back to in a minute, and also Ben John, who is a member of General Synod of the Church of England as well. Um, so two people very invested in what is going on uh, with the Church of England uh, right now. Um, Bernard, can I get your sort of initial reaction to the news this week and what the bishops are proposing? Um, it, it's a bit of a tricky one. I think actually the sort of the headlines are pretty dismal in the sense that um, the, the bishops seem to be wanting to say one thing and another thing which are contradictory at the same time. Um, yeah. As is so often the case that the devil is in the detail. Um, which may be an unfortunate expression to use on this particular occasion. But if you read their report, they're, what they're trying to do is a bit better than what the headlines suggest. The trouble is, of course, the world will hear the headlines and, and the theological niceties of what they're trying to do, um, even if they work, and I'm not sure they do, um, will be lost on most people looking at what the church is doing. So, um an overall mess would be my one word. Well, yeah, mess. That kind of sums it up. Ben, what's your initial reaction to this? Yeah, I think mess is a good way to describe it. Um, uh, they seem incoherent and <coughs> nonsensical. Um, they've, what it seems like they've done is they, they're trying to redefine terms and words. So there's a whole section in the report on what is a blessing. And, um, They've now made a distinction between holy matrimony and civil marriage. So therefore, to get a same-sex civil marriage is not to go against holy matrimony. You know, all of this kind of stuff that doesn't make any sense. And then they've written these prayers that I kind of, I'm not quite sure I understand just what they were thinking. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll get into a bit more of the detail, but I think at the moment, um, the initial reaction is that they're, so they're saying what they're saying is that it's a very interesting point this point about marriage that you're raising there ben isn't it because they're they're saying civil marriage is not holy marriage and therefore we can bless it and not break canon law which says that holy marriage is always heterosexual you know between a man and a woman for life civil marriage might not always be heterosexual and therefore you know is is not yeah. the same and is, is, you know, what are they saying? You're not really married in the eyes of God then if you're civilly married. Presumably that's what they're saying, Bernard? Um, that appears to be ultimately what they're saying, that they're saying there's always been a bit of a distinction between holy matrimony and civil marriage, um, that until same-sex civil marriage existed, it didn't really matter very much that there was a distinction because everybody kind of knew what was going on. Uh, and as soon as those two different understandings of marriage actually are noticeably different um it didn't matter but now it matters and yes they appear to be saying if you have got married in church that's one thing if you haven't got married in church if it's a civil marriage then it's a completely different thing um so you know if you want to use the old notion of couples living in sin they're effectively saying if you're married in church you're not living in sin 
everybody else is living in sin. Well, we used to bless and have prayers of thanksgiving for civil marriages of opposite sex couples who were, it seems, living in sin. So same sex couples in the same situation are equally living in sin to opposite sex couples. So therefore, we'll do exactly the same kind of blessing for them um, that we did for opposite sex couples, which I, I can't see that pleasing anybody once they realise that's actually what the bishops are saying. Well, where does that leave all the Christians, the non-conformist Christians who have civil marriages and then follow up with a service in church? Presumably the church being said they're not wholly married. I, I think if they have gone into a church and had a marriage service according to the doctrine and, and the, the sort of the liturgy of whatever the church it is then yeah the prob probably the church of england would recognize that as holy matrimony um you know it's the, the giving of vows in church and the the minister declaring the husband and wife united um so if that's happened in a church whether it be church of england or or otherwise i think that's probably going to be regarded as holy matrimony, yeah, uh, matrimony. So are they almost saying then that if you have a service in the Church of England church and then, you know, there's always the signing of the register, that signing of the register is a separate thing completely altogether. It's not actually part of the, it's, a, it's almost a separate, it, isn't that, because that's when you're civilly married. It's yes, and, and that's, and in sense, in sense, that's always been the case, theologically, that the marriage service could create a, a holy matrimony without the signing of registers. But when you sign registers you're entering in the civil legal contractual um, yes. situation that is yeah. recognized so in law what they say in their guidance is it can be argued which is a quite a um non-committal way of talking saying this it can be argued that a same-sex couple entering into a civil status which does not claim to be holy matrimony should not of itself be regarded as challenging or rejecting the church's doctrine of marriage and that those who do so should not therefore be regarded as acting in disobedience to that doctrine yes and which, therefore on that basis we can welcome them in so yes i think that's technically true um but it's a theological nicety that most people won't understand and i think what the bishops as far as i can tell what they're doing is effectively narrowing the definition of marriage so that they have holy matrimony which is what church theology and church law and the canons and the liturgy relate to and then there's this thing over there which is civil marriage which is nothing to do with anything that takes place in a church building only occasionally sometimes people sign the registers in church only they don't anymore because it's all online um so it's it is it's making a very strong distinction between holy matrimony and civil marriage which in a sense, has always existed, but they haven't needed to talk about it very much before now. Um, this is an extraordinary landmark moment, though, isn't it, Ben, that they are now formally saying we're going to bless same-sex relationships almost as if, just, you know, just not quite for exactly the words, but almost as if it's a marriage. You're going to actually exchange rings and, and see them as a sign of the covenant of friendship and stuff. It's in the list there. It, it's basically saying... You know, we really think God blesses these same-sex sexual relationships, isn't it? Well, again, um, they've, they've done it again about they have said um, we, we're going to ask for God's blessing. So, again, they, they play with words in order to try and avoid saying 
to, to try and protect um, themselves from what they're doing. But as you said, if you look at what the prayers actually say, so there's prayers for the giving of rings, they are prayers. So the prayers that are asking for God's blessing say, um, quote, um, uh, you have come to us in your son, Jesus Christ, who called us no longer servants, but friends. Pour out, we pray, the abundance of your grace upon N and M in their life together. Bless them that, loving each other as you have loved them, they may share in the blessings of your kingdom. So, so Ben, what would you say then to Charlene Smith on Facebook? Why would God bless something he doesn't approve of? He won't. I, we're asking God to bless an abomination and actually, we're calling down curses on ourselves if we pray these prayers. Um, and it's interesting. You're saying it was a mile, a milestone, um, um, uh, uh, Tim. And it's acknowledged in the reports that this is really just a step in the road. They're not saying, "Here's here we are. We're doing these prayers, and this is where it's going to be forever." They're basically saying, "This is the step that we would like to take." They're saying, "Going forward." We would like to discern the direction we believe God is calling the church to take regarding um, same-sex relationships. In fact, they've said in, in a bit where they talk about the definition of marriage and, well, how far should we take um, the, the metaphor of Christ and the church? They, they close that whole section with all these rhetorical questions and then say, these questions about which we have not yet reached a consensus. But what, they, what they've actually done is they've just left the consensus they're saying oh there's all these questions about marriage and we, ha we haven't decided what we think about them yet but what they've done is they've well they they must have rejected what they have believed before mm. by saying it's now possible that they might mean well something. it struck me as well think about this it's just three years ago in january 2020 that the bishops put out a statement saying very clearly that sexual relationships are reserved for heterosexual marriage and sexual relationships outside of that are not are not part of God's plan. Um, and here we are, and this is a massive shift saying, oh no, people might take different views on this, isn't it, Bernard? It, it does look like it, yes. I think Ben's right about the, the way that this sort of fudges that issue. You know, the, the church's doctrine of marriage, what is called holy matrimony that the report goes on about, is very clear. For example, that the procreation of children is one of the goods of that marriage, and, and that's essential to it. Um, but then in their comments on saying we don't really know what marriage is, they're saying, oh, is having children essential to marriage? Well, yes, I noticed the, that. the yeah. consensus of Christian theology is, yes, it is. That is one of the three goods of marriage that, you know, mm. without that, it's not really marriage. Mm. Um, so that on the one hand, they're trying to say holy matrimony. And we know what that is, is different from civil marriage. And then on the same page, they're saying, we don't really know what holy matrimony is either. Um, it, it's you know, slippery slopes, isn't it? Do you think this is paving the way then for them to change? They've done they've sort of done all these theological and, and verbal gymnastics to avoid saying they're changing the doctrine here. And partly by some sort of you know, coming up with this distinction saying civil marriage is not properly holy matrimony, all, all this kind of stuff. But is it really paving the way? And it's clear that there's quite a lot of bishops who want to change the doctrine, isn't it? They've, they're basically saying that in the report. Do you think that's the end game here? They're going to change the doctrine. So they literally say, while there is a range of convictions held by the bishops about this important matter, we have not found sufficient consensus to propose a change in doctrine at the present time. 
So they're basically saying, well, we'll just hold out. We'll wait until more bishops change their mind. There's more consensus. It won't be as divisive. And then we'll change the doctrine of marriage. But they don't stop to think maybe it's a problem that we have bishops that are advocating for change anyway. The bishops of Oxford, the bishops of the Bishop of Worcester, all of them are false teachers that should have been driven out from the church. And yet we're tolerating them as, oh, another voice at the table, when in fact they're wolves in sheep's clothing. And God has strong words for false prophets in the Old Testament. In Malachi, it says that he will curse their blessings and rub their excrement on their face. And that's what's going to happen to the archbishops. That's what's going to happen to the Bishop of Oxford. That's what's going to happen to the Bishop of Worcester if they don't repent and withdraw this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what, what do you make of, um, I've got a question here from, um, trying to find it now, about Penny Mordaunt's comments. Um, a question from Elizabeth Sadler on um, Facebook. Any comment on Penny Mordaunt? Remember Penny Mordaunt said, that you know basically asked the church to change its doctrine on marriage. What, what do we make of sort of MPs and parliamentarians wading in on this and sort of saying, you know, church, get with the times, you know, sort yourself out, change your doctrine, come on, you know, Bernard, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I can see why parliamentarians think that it's appropriate for them to do that because it's the established church and because ultimately parliament has authority over the church. Um, I don't like it. Um, and, you know, it raises question about the relationship between church and state, which are really important. But if we had a bench of bishops, all of whom were very clear on Christian doctrine and simply could turn around to Penny Mordaunt and others and say, well, sorry, this is just the doctrine of the Church of England. And, and that's where it lies. Mm. Um, we can't change it. Then I think that the calls from Parliament would die down, whereas um when the church is itself divided, it gives an opening for Parliament to say, oh, well, the church can't make up its mind, so we'll need to do it for them. Um, and that's a real danger of being an established church. So, yeah, I don't have a good solution to that because I think... Well, there have been some comments about would she, say, would she say to Muslims, change your doctrine of marriage? Well, ab absolutely. They're not saying to the Roman Catholic Church or to Muslims or to other yes. faith groups, you must yes. change. Um, so it's the peculiar position that the Church of England is in. Uh, mm. But, yeah, tricky. Um, Bernard, just because you raised the point about having children being essential to marriage, we have had a question here from someone who goes by the name of Brown Sugar saying, in response to Bernard's point, what about couples that can't conceive? Could you just answer that question? Well, I think that when we look to the Bible on this, we find couples who, as far as the world can tell, can't conceive. Uh, Abraham and Sarah are too old. Um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are too old. And yet they're able to have children by God's grace. And th so the pattern of male and female, even though there appears to be a problem with conception, is, is well established. Whereas with two people of the same sex, it's, it's clearly just not possible under any circumstances whatsoever so there's a clear distinction there um and i mean you can go into the theology of it and, and sort of people like thomas aquinas in the middle ages ask these questions and come to the conclusions that yes because they are the right kind of couple even if this particular one can't conceive nevertheless they can get married um so it's a bit like um when we talk about Holy Communion and, and people should come to communion with understanding of what they're doing, nevertheless, we would give Holy Communion to someone who'd been a faithful Christian all her life, but was suffering from dementia and didn't really understand what was going on on the basis of she's the right kind of person to receive Holy Communion. 
Um, so we offer the sacrament of marriage to those who it turns out can't conceive on the basis that they are the right kind of couple, even if their particular circumstances mean it, it would take a miracle for, for conception to happen. Okay, very good. I like, I like that. And and Bernard, is this a good point for you to sort of fill us in again or remind us of your own story of what's happened to you with the Church of England? Because in context, it's quite interesting to sort of see and, and how you see that relating to what's happening this week. Uh, yeah, well, I probably viewers will know my story, um, but I was a school chaplain and I gave a, a sermon in the school chapel uh, in a Church of England school um, saying that people may hold to the church's traditional teaching on marriage and sex. Um, and for this, the school dismissed me for gross misconduct. I was reported to prevent the anti-terror watchdog and to safeguarding authorities because it was too much of a risk for children uh, even to have this idea put in front of them. And um, let's just clarify this, Bernard. So you you were as a church of England minister in a church of England chapel in a church of England school in a church of England you were you were preaching a sermon that um basically said you might want to believe or you you at least should be allowed to believe traditional yes. church teaching. and it was it was you may believe and we should respect those who have different opinions from us yes the core of it so it and was for that you lost stuff. your job and yes then, and then the church was it not referred you to prevent is that right no, the school preferred me to prevent, and right. the prevent police officer said this doesn't meet right. the threshold. Wow. Um, the school eventually referred me to the local authority designated officer for safeguarding, right. um, and he looked at it and clearly couldn't see any problem at all. I, I'm not sure he even really responded to it um, in right. any meaningful way. So there was no investigation right there. There was no problem. Yeah. But the diocese... Yeah. When their safeguarding team got told about it, decided to launch a safeguarding process, um, which is ongoing. So I am still in a position where because I taught that you may believe the Church of England's doctrine, I am regarded by the Church of England as too dangerous to be allowed to preach anywhere. Um, how, many which is a, how many years ago did this happen now? Well, the, the, the whole situation blew up was three and a half years ago or so. Um, I, I have not been able to preach anywhere for nearly three years now um wow. which is for an ordained minister is is pretty tough to take um and the, and the difficulty here is that i was going with the church's own doctrine and i've pointed this out to the, the safeguarding team you know this is the church of england's doctrine which i can't change so yeah. how can it be a problem they're not listening to that uh, and the bishop has had the chance to intervene and say, no, no, this is the church's doctrine. It's a theological thing. It's fine. She hasn't taken that opportunity uh, because it's deemed to be, I don't know what, just too harmful to people to hear the church's doctrine and, and to be challenged by the possibility that they might live by that. So if I can't work in the church because a, a safeguarding team have taken it upon themselves to reject church doctrine, how is it possible for any clergy in the future if the church's doctrine is not even changed but muddied by the current process? How are they ever going to be able to stand up in the pulpit and teach the church's traditional historic doctrine if they know that somebody in the pews might make a complaint to the safeguarding team, might say, I was made to feel unsafe by this, I suffered emotional harm from listening to this sermon, and then that person will be subject to a safeguarding process where they can't even say 
But that's the church's doctrine because the safeguarding team will say, yeah, but everybody knows it's changed, really, because safeguarding officers are not theologians. They have not received well, training and, and, in yeah, doctrine. This is, this is, you know, this is where the practice, you know, they, they try and claim it's not a change of doctrine, but if you're blessing same-sex relationships, then in everyone's minds, that is a change of what you believe. You know, obviously, yeah. it, you know, and, yes. and in fact, it is as well. In actual fact, it is a change. You know, it's a massive change here, and it's a massive departure from historic Christianity to do that. And so, and the point is, they're incredibly intolerant towards you in the in the you know pre pre this announcement setting and now with this announcement and as the as the practice becomes more widespread how much more intolerant are they going to be of faithful ministers of the gospel in church being settings yeah and, and i think that's really important to to recognize because if someone lives in a diocese where the bishop is traditionally minded then that minister is probably reasonably safe but if you live as feels I do in a diocese where the bishop is not willing to stand up for the traditional viewpoint, then you're it's it's open season for people to really cause a a miserable life for someone who holds to what the church has believed for two thousand years, right up until apparently it's changed now. And this is the difficulty because the bishops might be technically correct that the doctrine isn't being changed, but in the eyes of anybody who hasn't got an advanced degree in theology it's a change and and so you know the people in the well, it's definitely it's a formal change in their guidance on sexual ethics it's a formal change it was like you know we do believe that sexual relationships are reserved for marriage now it's like we have differences of opinion on this and you can think think what you like about it and that is a formal change isn't it ben yeah, and one of the things in the report is the sort of this new pastoral guidance that's going to be written. So they're planning to drop this document called the current pastoral guidance was um, in the past something called issues in human humanity, <coughs> and they're saying they're going to drop that um, and come up with some new pastoral guidance. So it looks likely that um, clergy will not have to be celibate or abstinent. Really, is the right word um, from. Um, uh, sexual immorality, sexual sin, in order to be ordained. Currently, uh, the, the practice is you can be in a civil partnership but have to commit to being abstinent um, from engaging in sexual activity. And it looks likely, so it looks likely that that's going to change. And so, yes, it's, it's impossible to hold these two together in tension. They say they're going to support people who choose to do these prayers of blessing and those who choose not to do the prayers. Um, but the reality, they're not being very supportive of Bernard, are they, right? No, not at all. And then on the ground, what, what are they actually going to say to someone who um, is facing local pressure um, from their community for not offering um, these services or, or prayers? Um, I, I think there's that much Bernard's, story, Bernard's yeah. story is going to get more and more common um, as more and more ministers um, have to um step out in faith and i guess that's the cost of faithfulness you know what bernard you've been through a tough um a tough time i don't want to trivialize it but um um you know as paul says a light momentary affliction compared to the eternal weights of glory um that's being prepared for you and so uh, now's the time for ministers to be bold to speak the truth but the point life. is ben the affliction should come from outside the church not from inside the church yes <laughs> but we were, warned, so, but we were warned that people would creep in and tickle people's yeah. ears and listen to the world um yeah. I, I mean jesus warns us in in revelation doesn't he to 
his um his words to the the church in Thyatira, and he says, you know, you've you've done all these good works, but this I have against you: you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, who teaches and seduces my servants to commit fornication. I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. And so unless the church, unless these bishops repent and rebuke um, this teaching, if they rebuke um, this the Jezebelic teaching that's in the church, that's crept in from the world and yeah. is manifesting there, they will yeah. be cast out. Yeah. So I've got a question here from Heather Scannell on um, on YouTube. So um, I'm going to ask, ask you this one, Bernard. So, yeah, this is about the bishops saying that they're not going to any longer hold this this um, this guidance that clergy and same-sex relationships have to be celibate, right? So Heather is asking, well, is it therefore going to be okay for a candidate who's living in sin with a part of the opposite sex? Let's say they're not married and living with a part of the opposite sex. They don't have to remain celibate either. Um, I think that must be what the bishops are intending, that it, it effectively they're not just, they're not going to ask the question. Um, I, I suppose that if a candidate for ordination or in, indeed someone post-ordination was was manifestly living a, a, a promiscuous life with multiple partners, I think that might still be something that would cause difficulty. Um, but it looks as if they're going to say someone who is living faithfully monogamously um with one partner of whichever sex won't be a barrier to ordination um so it is it is a, a sort of a watering down of the previous standard um and you might say well that's just a bit more realistic about the world we live in um and i can see that but you know clergy are called to uh, maintain a higher standard so the church is teaching that sexual activity belongs properly within marriage and by marriage the the bishops are saying holy matrimony um then it's, it's very difficult to see that there isn't an inconsistency in what they appear to be saying so we'll look forward to the pastoral guidance making this properly clear but this is going to be another mess i think um that comes from departing from you know what everybody knew fairly recently was just simply what the church teaches it's kind of unbelievable really that they're, that they're going down the street of sort of abandoning christian sexual morality which is like kind of you know one of the most important aspects of morality basically and the one that they were most challenged on in culture of course so ben here you are uh, a member of general synod you're going to be in synod in a few weeks time when this is debated and comes before you know the, the floor of the house um, what's your sense of what will happen there? There's going to be a vote, I understand. Uh, what do you What do you think is going to happen in, in Synod in a couple of weeks' time when you're there in London? It's going to be a tense time. So they've allocated quite a lot of time for discussion. Part, part of that is going to be group work. We're going to be split into groups um, to discuss what we think about prayers and love and faith. So I'd be surprised if that will be amicable. Um, um, and, and that won't be broken down by how, you know, that'll be liberals, conservatives all, all together in small groups. So there'll be that. And then there's these, there's a motion that's being proposed by um, the Bishop of London. Now, there's something to realize is that liberals are upset at this as well. Um, 
They many don't think it goes far enough. So sort of one of the main campaigners, Jane Ozan, she's saying how upset she is, etc. Um, other other kind of yeah, gay clergy campaigners in particular are really upset. So there's a likelihood that they will vote down the motion. But the issue is, is that the motion won't be to approve these prayers. The motion isn't going to be, um, um, the motion isn't, it, it, the bishops don't need the approval of synod, they claim, to do this because they're saying it doesn't change, the, it's not contrary to, or it doesn't change the doctrine of the church. Now, I think we all agree that it does change the doctrine of the church, and I mean, that could be legally challenged. Um, but the bishops could just publish these and commend them. They don't have to get synod's approval. So whatever vote happens doesn't isn't necessarily meaningful. Um, it, the motion will be along the lines of we, we lament and repent of the failure of the church. We recommit to our shared witness for God's love. We commend the continuing of learning together in living in love and faith. We welcome the, we welcome the decision of the House of Bishops. We welcome the response. Um, and we invite the House of Bishops to monitor the church's use and response to the prayers once they had been commended and published and to report back to Synod in five years' time. So the vote would be saying, bring this back for further discussion in five years' time, which would be in the next quinquennium of the Synod. So there'll be another election um, uh, within that time. And I think one thing I've already, I mean, in the initial introduction to this whole motion, it says, we recognize the commitment to learning and deep listening to God and to each other in living in love and faith and continuing that. The reality is, is that the whole living in love and faith process has been corrupt from the start and was a compromise and was disobedience from the, from the start. And in fact, all the rhetoric that the bishops put out about listening to God, listening to what the spirit is saying in the times, it's blasphemy because it's saying there's a possibility that God could contradict himself. There's a possibility that God could, through his Holy Spirit, proclaim false teaching. And so this whole process should have been opposed from the start. Um, and really what's kind of happened is um, about in 2017, there was a vote where they'd published this report, which had basically talked about maximum freedom within the current teaching. And that actually got voted down. They voted not to take note. And what the bishops seem to have done is taken six years to just do the same thing anyway. But probably even worse, they're basically saying, um, yes, we're not changing the doctrine of the marriage, but we're doing all of this stuff anyway. So Synod's going to be very interesting. This motion, there can be amendments, there'll be a debate, um, there can be changes. What I think the bishops, my understanding is they're planning to force through the prayers. And what they will do is there'll be a debate and they're going to consider the the content of the debate to reshape the prayers. So on the on my copy of the prayers, there's big, big draft text written all over it. And they're basically saying, well, this is a draft, we'll debate it, and then we'll come back with a final version and we'll just commend them for, for use in the church because they're not contrary to the doctrine of the church. So you think that this this sort of am I right? There's about forty percent evangelical, roughly, and forty percent liberal, roughly. So they both have a blocking majority if it was required a two thirds vote. But this doesn't require a two thirds vote. No, because they're saying it doesn't require a change in the the liturgy or a yeah. change in the authorized liturgy. So there's a difference between authorized and commended. And they're basically saying commended liturgy doesn't require a vote. It's what they do. It's what the bishops did. You may remember a few years ago when they published guidance on celebrating transitions, 
which to me was more was a red line back then but i don't think there was a the evangelical response there was a there was a letter um written to the bishops nothing really came about from that few meetings um so i understand but to the bishops a few years ago published guidance saying yes we want you to use the reaffirmation of baptismal vows liturgy if you want to celebrate someone's transitions here are some suggested readings um sarah, this, is, sarah. this is gender transition just to be clear gender transition, yes. so this was a few years there was no vote there was no vote on that. change sex and they're saying here's a list you can use to bless and thank god for your change of sex which yes. is you know thank god for well yeah you can't thank god for rebelling against the way he's made you you can't do that it's not right no so they but they did that without a vote in synod either and so they're kind of doing a similar thing here they're just pushing something through they're not they're saying they're consulting with synod but they're not actually they're not letting synod decide now in one sense i'm sympathetic the reality is is synodical government to me i mean i'm a member of general synods so maybe be careful what i say <laughs> the bishops should be leading the church and they should be driving out error and teaching instead of um fudging it, providing no leadership, and when they do provide leadership, just leading people to hell. Mm. So, and, and being reminded here that Peter Sanlon uh, did leave the Church of England um, following that whole transgender listy thing, um, so it was a red line for him enough to decide to leave the Church of England, so, you know, and it, but it was a significant point, so thanks for reminding us of it, Ben. Um, so, um, Bernard, what do you think is going to be the reaction of faithful clergy to this um, announcement to this news this week? It is really difficult to know, I think. And, and that's that's one of the things we'll find out over the coming days and weeks. And, and certainly once Synod has met and, and if Synod does vote down these proposals, then we're back to where we started. Um, and, you know, some clergy have already been using forms of prayer very much like what's being commended for same-sex couples there are clergy who use the the marriage service for same-sex couples already so in that sense those who want to make the change will do those who don't want to make the change won't um, and on the face of it things will sort of carry on as they were before except that when you've got this position now becoming more and more obvious there will be moves from groups of clergy, I think, to distance themselves from their bishops, to withhold financial uh, contributions to the diocese and, and so on. Very difficult to see how that's going to work out because you know it's been talked about plenty before and um, some of it's happened, but not very much, not enough that the bishops have actually had to stop doing what they're doing. The question will be, do are we now at a point where it, the divide is just so obvious that clergy will have to make that decision and parishes will start saying, yeah, we are going to distance ourselves. Uh, and how do they distance themselves from the establishment of, of the bishops and, and so on? It's um, it's a mess, as, as we started by saying. It's it's a real mess. So it's, it's difficult to know. Um, but yes, I, I think the, the mess gets messier from here on in. I think the sort of status quo of people in their parishes quietly doing whatever they want to do anyway um, will get worse um, and, and not make life easier for anybody. Um, so, yeah, we, we'll have to wait and see um, exactly what comes out of it. 
Yeah, here's another chap on Facebook saying that the translicity was the drug that led him to lead the Church of England as well a couple of years ago. Um, I'm not surprised by the way things have gone today. Ben, there's a proposal um, that, and for an evangelicals um, for a um, declaration that they won't um, submit to any bishop who supports these proposals and will withdraw their stipend as well. Do you think many many will do that? And do you think it will make much difference if they do? I think the idea is to get them to sign a declaration before Synod so that it kind of weighs on um, Synod that all these big churches are planning to um, to sort of withdraw their allegiance to the bishops and their stipends as well. So I think this proposal, the thing is, is it, this proposal at the moment is all very anonymous and, and no one quite knows um, um, how many people would be willing to do it. So at the moment, I think that... I don't know if how much momentum there is behind the proposal. I'm very sympathetic to the proposal, partly because I think it 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 would it would it does both things of oh I'm not going to leave my church, but at the same time I'm not recognising the authority of those who um, are teaching error. Um, so they're basically my understanding is they're saying we would cut up our share, we would not recognise we would we would disavow our vow disavow the bishops. Um, um, knowing that our, our oaths aren't to a person, but they were to a, I think is it better real to uh, speak about it more than me, um, to an office or to the to the canons and to the to the to the law of the Church of England. Um, and so, if a bishop strays from that, one must be dis one must disobey. And so they're saying we'll do that, but we will be staying in our buildings and we view ourselves as staying within the Church of England. Um, and so I'm I'm very sympathetic to that. Whether or not though. They can get enough people to to for it to really make a difference is um, I, I'm not sure they would be able to. One thing they say we'd set up they'd set up a trust where they can be supporting one another for training and things like that. Basically, creating an alternative system within the Church of England. Um, I just I'm not convinced that majority. I, I think a lot of evangelicals will um, likely just keep their heads down. The reality is, is I just don't think there are many churches that are even teaching on this in the first place. And so most churches are prepared to speak out against this within their own congregations. Mm. Well, it's a sad day for the Church of England, or a sad week, perhaps one should say, um, for the Church of England. And it is a, a landmark moment. And I think um, Andrea was, was quoted as saying a landmark moment in what looks to be the sort of steady decline, really, of the Church of England. Um, to cultural irrelevance effectively. I think I think the thing is that I I do think a lot of this traces back anyway and that we've seen lots of gradual compromises anyway. Everyone there's a big everyone a lot of liberals have been upset at the issues in the human sexuality document and that was the one that we were saying earlier is likely to be um, withdrawn. Um, but the reality is is in that document it said lay people um, uh, do not have to abide by the standards. They should be welcomed fully into membership in the Church of England, even if they are practicing um, homosexuals. And so even then, and this is 30 years ago, that, uh, that's the beginning of a compromise in terms of church discipline, in terms of discipleship, in terms of the call to repentance. And now we don't want to be singling out any particular sin, but it would be like saying, you know, adulterers or thieves or liars. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, those if they're lay people, they don't need to be called to repentance and they can be firmly, fully welcomed um, uh, and involved in church life. Now, everyone needs to be welcomed and everyone should be welcomed through the door of a church. I don't think anyone has ever um, said otherwise. 
Um, the question is, is when you're caught, when you're, the call to repentance, what does that mean? And over many, many years, that's just being watered and watered down. And now today, it just seems to be um, completely um, rejected altogether. Yeah. And I think one of the things in the, the report from the bishops that they, they say we need to really look at properly is, is singleness and what it means to be in, in strong, deep friendships with people um, as, as a gift to the church and, and how we encourage people to live lives which are not the lives of married people because not everybody marries. Um, and actually, if they'd done that at the start of this sort of process or decades ago, if there was a more robust understanding of how everybody contributes to the life of the church, regardless of being married or not, and therefore regardless of their sexuality, then I'm not sure we would be in exactly the same mess as we're in now, because we would have a much better positive understanding to say to those Christians who are same-sex attracted, you have a wonderful place in the church, you have wonderful gifts to give us as members of the church, just not as married people within the church's understanding. Um, and we've, we've let people down quite badly by not giving them the teaching of, of an alternative way of being. And being Christian is all about an alternative way of being. It's not conforming to the world, even though we're in the world. So sadly, yes, it's been a long process and there's a certain amount of, of bolting the stable door after the horse is long gone. Um, but th that's where so we are. So I think, um, yeah, I'm conscious of time, I think we probably should wrap up now, but what's sort of striking me as we sort of ran up this discussion is that it's already hard for faithful Christians to sort of defend what they believe and what they think and that with the church being and taking a different view and it, that's just going to get harder um, because Christians who teach um, standard traditional biblical sexual morality everyone will point to church being and say well these other Christians so to speak um, believe this why can't you just believe the same as them you know why does it matter so much this sexual ethic thing and this is just going to get harder and harder for Christians it's already um, been a you know a real pressure on Bernard and the church has totally failed to support him promises of supporting clergy taking a different view ring very very hollow in the light of that um, but also not even Anglican Christians find this pressure in, in the courtroom um, the, the lawyers always say but the Church of England says this and therefore you Christians are obviously oddballs and so on um, but we're not. We're the ones who are actually holding to what the Bible teaches and what the church has always taught for thousands of years. And actually, the Church of England is the oddball. Even in the global Anglican community, it's the oddball as well um, in this mix. And it's worth remembering that. Um, well, Ben, we'll be praying for you at Synod um, in a couple of weeks' time um, and uh, for all that goes on there. And um, and you know, for the bishops, you can write to your bishop as well and, and say exactly what you think. Um, about it to let them hear your views. It's, I think it's quite important for them to hear your views about this. Um, and um, yeah, we'll see how this develops over the next few weeks. Um, very interesting news, but very sad news as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Bernard. Really appreciate your wisdom um, and your experience in this and Ben as well. Thank you all the rest of you for watching and listening. I hope you found that interesting and I look forward to catching up with you again next week. Uh, reminders to follow us on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter and catch up with our um, live streams and song. See you later. Thank you very much.